Welcome back. I am so excited that you have joined me again in the Aligned Womb, Aligned You podcast. I'm Kate Nagai, and I am your host and womb guide on this journey. I'm here to help you to lean into the language of your menstrual cycle so that you can align yourself and awaken and activate to your womb wisdom to live the most inspired life. I am so excited to jump into this episode and to dive into today's topic. So let's get started. This week, we have a very special guest and somebody who I'm meeting for the first time, and I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. We are meeting with Hannah Brown today. Hannah Brown is a psycho coach and a social worker. Her passion is to provide support for menstruators to help them reconnect and reclaim their cycles, as well as coach women on how to support children as they prepare for their cycles to begin. As a mom to a daughter, entering into puberty, and as a woman in perimenopause, she is beginning to dive into understanding the trends between these two big life transitions, which is what we're going to dive in today. And I really feel excited about this, Hannah, because I'm in a similar spot right now. Mm-hmm. I am just on the doorstep of perimenopause. I'm 42, mm-hmm. going almost 43. Um, and I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I want to say that, you know, when I started getting interested in cycle wisdom and womb wisdom for myself, mm-hmm. it was shortly after that I was thinking about my three-year-old and my four-year-old daughter. It's like, how is this going to impact them? How do I want their life to look different? Mm-hmm. And now it's like on the doorstep. So now I'm really starting to ponder, how can I really support them? And how can I be in this space as somebody who's also going through some transitions? And how can we really create a really strong, healthy relationship, mother-daughter-wise? So welcome. Thank you. (laughs) And I resonate with everything that you were just saying. And also the age thing. Like I'm I'm nearly 42 and um, yeah, heard a, heard a podcast the other day. Actually, it was the Red School podcast. I don't know if you mm-hmm. listen. Yeah, yeah. And they were talking about forty two being quite a significant year in terms of yeah, in terms of being like a reflective kind of zoom out on it all and think, what is it I'm doing here? And you know, what's my purpose? So interesting that we're both around that point. Yes. Yeah, and you know, forty two was a big shift. Like there was a lot that was going on in my personal life. Like I had uh, my father passed away, which was a really big loss. Mm-hmm. And all these things started to happen, which I think sometimes happens as we start to hit 42 is, you know, there's, there's more and more shifts <laughs> happening in our life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I started seeing period changes. You, you know, I haven't, so I, so I was just researching this last night because the, one of the big things I've noticed with my period is that it has gotten shorter and more scantier. And for people that don't know what scantier means, it just means lighter. Like it's just not as like heavy and as deep, which is something that I wasn't necessarily expecting with perimenopause. I was expecting it to be the opposite of being like longer, like having a really long, waiting for the cycle to come. Um, so rather than having a 27, 28 day, it'd be like a 36 day. And I was expecting it to be heavier. So mm-hmm. mine is going the complete opposite. It's starting to shorten in length. Mm-hmm. And it's also the, the duration of the bleed days. So mm-hmm. 42 has been a big year of just small shifts and feeling into that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was just meeting with a girlfriend yesterday and we were just talking about how this age is starting to feel. And maybe it's because we both now are like really cycle excited, <laughs> I'm going to call it. <laughs> but we... Uh, 
we're a little sad. Like, it's like when you start to see it starting to disappear, there's a part of like, but wait a minute, I just learned about this. Like, I'm just mm-hmm. getting into a relationship with it. So mm-hmm. I so understand that, Kate. Like, I really feel the same. And I think there's, yeah, some grief around it. I was saying it the other day. And some grief for me anyway around, um, like, accepting that I'm, <laughs> that I'm kind of knocking on the door of perimenopause. I think I've been, like, in denial about it because of that grief piece. So it's like, um, just when I found you, I'm going to lose you. <laughs> Yeah, like a bit dramatic, but I came to cycle awareness late in life. I like about 37 is when I kind of went, mm-hmm. oh, and had the like aha moment of what? Like, and then I think a lot of women talk about the feeling quite angry. Mm-hmm. Like, how did I get to this point in my life and not know this about my own body? And I'd had two kids by that point as well. So like, I didn't know nothing, <laughs> but I knew not enough um and so yeah I feel like I feel a sadness and I I noticed that recently when I did actually say out loud I think I'm in perimenopause and then I was like oh no I don't want it to change I've just got used to it and the kind of you know I've I've still got a relatively regular cycle but like you were saying a bit lighter and and you can't almost like blinking you miss it kind of mm-hmm. couple of days and so I I don't know if you feel like this but I quite often feel like um it's happened a bit too quickly and I think oh well I didn't really get the chance to sink into it yeah. <laughs> and do all the stuff that I wanted to do that I was looking forward to and then day three it's like oh right <laughs> it's yeah. only, it was only over quite quickly Yes, I can completely agree with that. And it's interesting. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like because like I just started, I was probably around 37 when I started learning about it too. Mm-hmm. Um, and like there was this excitement of now understanding my body and understanding why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And, mm-hmm. you know, like this, this excitement spills into my relationship of like me going to my partner going, well, this is what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. We all know about my cycle in this house. <laughs> and my excitement carries over into like how I'm excited about teaching my kids about puberty in a mm-hmm. new and empowering way to a point where I'm wondering if it's more exciting for me than it is for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I exactly understand that. So I don't know if you saw on Instagram, but my um, my baby girl started her period on the weekend, Kate. Oh. So, mm, so she, I say baby girl, she's 11. <laughs> so she's not a baby anymore. But it is, I was worried that I'd um, like kind of over-prepared her or, you know, um, when you're kind of at the point that, that I'm at and I think you're probably at where you've kind of reclaimed and are just facing potentially it changing, but have reclaimed your cycle and have this kind of new relationship with it. So different to to my relationship with it when it started. And so I don't want to kind of, it's a complicated one because I don't want to um, like project Mm -hmm. stuff onto her or what I was worried about was that she'd go, oh, mum, you've made out that this is like a really cool thing. And it's not. <laughs> so I was worried she was going to be like disappointed and be like, well, you've said it's like a big, big transition and the little, but I'm just ble- I've just got blood in my knickers. Like what's all the fuss about kind of thing. And so I did say to her last night, I was like, are you like, are you disappointed? Like, is it what you thought it would be? And she did say, yeah. And I was like, okay. Because <laughs> you kind of don't want to, 
you know, if you dress it up and like put bows and stuff and say, oh, it's magical and wonderful, then you're not acknowledging that actually there's some bits of it that can be challenging or that can be a bit shocking or that when you first start would be frightening a bit, wouldn't it? Particularly if you didn't have a clue what mm-hmm. to expect. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, I hear you on the... Um, <laughs> it's like be, yeah, being, um, being in the period party crew... <laughs> Yeah. And being like, it's amazing, it's amazing. And then people going, actually, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I think you've made, I think you've over you've overplayed it. <laughs> yeah, you've oversold this for sure. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old. And like I don't hide things, but I don't also openly push the conversation either like it's just Mm. something that comes into conversation like my Mm. husband and I we talk about it sometimes where it's just like I'm in my fall I'm tired I don't have the capacity or Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really antsy I just got to go and take a break for myself because I'm in my fall like and so we have these conversations so they hear it but they don't really like we've never sat down and went through what does this actually mean which I don't know if you necessarily have to at a young age but at eight and nine they, and you know, I've never hid my period. Like it's, I have three kids. Peeing with the door closed is just not a part of my reality. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's never yeah. something that's been hid, but they've never really asked. Like they've never been really curious about it either. They've just been these observers. And I've noticed with my nine-year-old, she's standing back and she's kind of like a sponge. She's just taking it in and trying to figure out the equation in her brain. Where my eight-year-old, she just asks. So the other day, I don't even know what we were doing. We were driving somewhere and I said something about my energy. And this is just what happens with women with their inner falls, right? And she was like, what does that mean? And what is chemicals in your body? And so then we started talking about estrogen and progesterone. And so I was like, you don't need to remember estrogen and you don't need to remember the word progesterone, but this is what they mean. Estrogen is a chemical that comes into your body that kind of feels like spring and summer. And so like we went into this whole thing and my daughter's like, that makes sense. I was like, yeah, it does. I love you know, that. It was like a proud mom moment of being mm. like, I just talked to my eight-year-old about estrogen and progesterone. Mm-hmm. Like, Tick. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, mom. You won today. Yeah. It's fascinating, isn't it? I'm, do you have a sense that, how, have, that they're close at all? Like how old were you, Kate, when you started? You know, I don't remember exactly my age, but I do remember I was the one of the last in my friend group. Mm-hmm. Like one of my memories, and I don't remember a lot about my period. I don't remember my first bleed or anything like that. But what I do remember mm-hmm. is feeling left out or feeling mm-hmm. like something, like I think I was broken or something wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Like it just, mm-hmm. so I remember being a late bloomer. So mm-hmm. I want to say it was like late 11 year old, 12 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I look at my daughters, and I'm not sure, I've never really looked into it or researched it of genetics, but they're half Asian, they're half Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so they have smaller build, smaller, like their weight is in the third percentile. So they are the tinier builds, not a lot of body fat. So I wonder sometimes if that will play into them having a later puberty as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've been watching body changes, like my nine year old. She's starting to get a little bit of hip development. Like it's starting, like her body's taking a new shape mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the other little things like breast development, none of that's happening quite yet. So 
Yeah. I don't know if we want to talk about that. Like some of these indicators that can sometimes mm. give us a prediction. I found that really interesting when I read that in books that like, it's like these indicators I mean, it's maybe a year or two away. Right. And mm-hmm. I wish I would have known that. When I, was I, know. I know. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. It's a really good, it's a, it's a really good thing to, to, for people to be aware of, I guess. Um, Cause you kind of get a sense that your, that your child is changing because they're growing and you yeah. kind of we, we all talk about the fact that we know that kids grow up <laughs> and everybody's yeah. got the charts on the wall where they like you know mark but in terms of we don't think about any other type of growth do we really um yeah and I was thinking when you were saying about your girls that actually I think that there's research that shows that you tend to follow the maternal line in okay. terms of when you start and interestingly I think that that applies to boys too. So if you're if you started puberty early and you have a boy and a girl or you know combo then the boy is likely to start his puberty early too which I thought was really interesting. Um interesting. but yeah there's loads of signs and um I think yeah my daughter had like had them all. Um, she was like it was like textbook I was like right but actually she's had them all for about a year now so we've been kind of like waiting like it's gonna happen any minute um and she's been wearing period pants like as her normal regular underwear for about a year actually that's a just in case tip. yeah I, I I think I must have read about that but she was worrying about if it started at school and obviously didn't want to wear like a sanitary towel to school just in case. Um, so yeah, we did that because you can get some really good mm-hmm. period un- underwear hey, that's like really thin and like normal knickers. So yeah, that was really good. The other thing that we noticed, um, and I don't know, you may notice this with your girls, is a real increase in vaginal discharge, mm-hmm. um, like a lot more. Um, and they say that that's a, a, that that increases quite a lot about six months before period start, um, as do breasts, like breasts. Yeah, absolutely. But mind you, she had her um, breast buds that started when she was about eight. And I was oh. like, whoa, that was not what I was expecting. And then she kind of slowed and didn't really grow for a while. Um, so, yeah, breast development. Like you were saying, the shape of your body changes that you that you have more, and I think that's the estrogen mm-hmm. that you have more weight around your hips, um, and you just look less like a little girl, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. is a kind of whole thing. Um, and yeah, the hair thing as well. That was a big, like hair all over your body, like just more hair, um, mm-hmm. but absolutely pubic hair too, although. And I don't think it's what's so complicated about it is that you know she's got another friend, she's got a friend in her class who is nowhere near as developed, who looks quite a lot younger than her, um, who has just started. So it's a tricky one because there's there's kind of indicators, you know, things that you'll think, okay, I think we're close, but it's not it's not a kind of science in that way. I don't think. Although the height thing, I think is, I think, I think there's a thing about, um, you know, you'll grow several inches mm-hmm. in, the year, in the year before you start bleeding. Um, yeah. you'll, you'll I've read that they're supposed spurt. to be, 
Yeah, I was going to say, they, I read somewhere that they're supposed to be a really big growth spurt, almost to their adult size, like obviously not because they still have a little bit of growing to do, but there's mm-hmm. such a significant growth that mm-hmm. it is closer towards what they're going to be as a full-grown adult, yeah. which I thought was crazy. So, so a funny yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> you talked about the discharge. Yeah. You know that you are a cycle-aware mom <laughs> when you go to do laundry, and I am always fishing for the underwear and looking because that's one of the things <laughs> I'm looking for. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like, yeah. should I be doing this? But I'm like, where's her underwear? I want to see, like, because it is an indicator that so I'm not yeah. going to embarrass her, but it gives me insight what's happening into yeah. her body. Yeah. So any mom out there that's on the cusp of puberty and you're curious, you can just check out their underwear every now and then. <laughs> I think that's a great way. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, and, and if, and if, and if your child isn't embarrassed about that, you know, having that conversation about, about what it is, because I think that that can, especially for older girls, that, that, that if they've got that suddenly in their pants and they don't know what that is, then they can think that there's something wrong, you know, or if, because it does have a, a distinct smell, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think that, that that can be a contributor to shame. And it, yeah. um, which, as we know, is like detrimental in lots of ways. Yes, these changes I think happen, and maybe this will play into the whole perimenopause and mm. puberty thing. But these changes happen so quickly, it kind of mm. catches us off guard sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it does put us in a unknown territory that can mm. induce more of that shame or self questioning of worth. And like when we look at puberty, it's because. I think traditionally and maybe a little bit currently still, some girls are so caught off guard of what this actually means. Because I would like to believe the conversations being had a little bit more in mm-hmm. homes, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it's fully there yet of what mm-hmm. I would like to see for support for empowering girls. But the same happens with perimenopause. Like nobody talks about perimenopause. You go to your doctor because things are happening. It's like, well, you know, we can put you on birth control or this is just part of the changes that are happening before you hit menopause. But there's not a lot of information or anything to really ground us to feel good about transitioning. It's fear, isn't it? It's all to do with fear. And I I think you're right. And I think I agree with you that I think that that there's a real mixed bag that I, that the few, I did um, two workshops at the end of last, uh, one last year and one this year in a primary um, and in terms of period preparation, like, which were just fantastic. But, but it, what struck me, what loads of stuff struck me, but, but one of the things was about how, um, how the variation in preparedness. Mm-hmm. So some, some girls were like, they just knew. And you kind of thought, right, they've got an older sister or they've just got a really, um, you know, open and honest parent who's had this chat. There was some, though, Kate, who, particularly in the year five, so I don't know how that translates in, mm-hmm. in, terms, of, in terms of Canadian schools, but this is like 10-year-olds, 9, 10-year-olds. Um, and one of them was so freaked out by the prospect of even talking about periods. She had to leave because she was in tears. Oh my gosh. And so I was really shocked actually at the kind of um, strength of feeling around that. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, there's, there's a lot to say around that. But I think you're right. It's the, it's the fear. It's linked, isn't it? It's the same as if we don't know what's happening or what's going to happen, then um, we fill in the blanks and, and fear takes over. And I think that perimenopause suddenly certainly is 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 a particularly 
it's really medicalized. So I was talking to somebody on the schoolyard this week and they were like, well, I think I've got the symptoms. And it's all very symptom focused, isn't it? And I get that, like that's the thing that smacks you in the face is that I've got actual physical bodily changes going on here or emotional and mental changes. Um, but but it is, it's, it's all so fraught with fear because of this lack of understanding. Um, that it's an inevitable transition in the same way as puberty is. And somehow, yeah, the, the, like we don't medicalize puberty, you know? It's like, it's it's quick with, oh, this woman is struggling hormonally. Ah, I don't really know what that means because I haven't had the expert training in this. Uh, mm -hmm. So I better just give her antidepressants or mm -hmm. pop her on the pill or, you know, some kind of contraception advice. So, yeah, it's... There's still, I think the conversation is changing for sure, but I feel like there's probably still <clears throat> a lot of work that needs to be done. There do, there's a lot, a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's interesting because I was, someone had sent to me this post today um, on Instagram from Jane Hardwick Collins, mm. who I love and adore. The OG, same. <laughs> yes, yes. She's so amazing. Mm -hmm. And she wrote in this post, I'm just looking it up here. Where did she write it here? Um, oh, is this um, about the Native American saying? Yes, 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 yes. Over here it is. Okay, so it goes, at Menarch, girls mm -hmm. meet her power. Through menstruation, she practices her power. And at menopause, she becomes her power. Like, how beautiful is that? Mm -hmm. As like, that, like, getting out of what you were just talking about, about the symptoms, like how it's just so mm. symptom-focused, if we could reframe it as coming into power, living our power, and then, what was, how did she put that again? I lost it. Becoming, becoming it. Mm. Becoming it, Yeah. So, uh, or oh, sorry, it was um, meeting her power, practicing her power, and then becoming her power. And I just think that is so potent. And that's really what I feel like right now. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm still, if, if people listening know the, or have heard me talk about the archetypes of the cycle, like I'm still mm -hmm. in that mother empress kind of energy, but mm -hmm. I, I feel the, the wild woman enchantress come in every now and then. That's like, mm -hmm. no, I'm in my power. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to talk about my blood. I'm going to talk about my period <laughs> and I feel okay with it. But then again, like I've been practicing it and how many of us in our bleed years, if we haven't come into cycle awareness this way, haven't been practicing our power, we've actually been contained and held back from our power. And so menopause and perimenopause can be really scary. And I know that you talk about how, like one of your big interests right now is mirroring perimenopause with puberty, mm -hmm. like how those are like two sides of the same coin in some way, just at different ends of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And how if we at perimenopause, if we haven't been taught how to really like live and embody and kind of flow cyclically and feel this power in us, and instead we feel shut down and shameful of it, how that really mirrors exactly what's happened at puberty. If we've had young girls on the cusp of puberty who haven't really been taught to explore their body or to look at their body or think about their body or to know their body, then how something like this can catch them off guard and can also put them in that same spiral that we feel as we're entering menopause. Mm. 
Mm, you put that so eloquently, Kate. And actually, when you read that quote from, that Jane Hardwick Collins shared, I got goosebumps because I read that to, to my daughter on the weekend when we had a little ceremony. Aww. I just think it's the most wonderful reframing. Yes. Of instead of this, like, we're losing our power at menopause, that actually that's when we meet it. Um, yeah. And it is, it is really exciting. I think the thing that I'm really fascinated with, I'm really interested in kind of menstrual story work. So the kind yes. of narr narrative piece in terms of thinking about how things began, because we know that that informs how they continue and how they end. So actually, you know, a lot of, a lot of the kind of the underpinning, I guess, of like the, the coaching that I do with women in terms of menstrual cycle coaching is, is menstrual story work. So it's really exploring and going back to where it all began. And, mm -hmm. you know, you were saying that you don't remember that when you first started bleeding and lots of women don't, I think. And I, and I wonder how, I always wonder how much of that is to do with the kind of shame piece that, that, that some people really did. Some people I speak to did have some kind of ceremony or marking of the event, but it's kind of blurry. They know like roughly around that time. But actually, you know, that's our first experience of kind of, of becoming and this rite of passage and stepping into a new and different version of ourself. And so I'm gripped in terms of that transitional piece. Um, mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if we think about it in terms of the, the, the cycle wisdom and zooming out, and like, you know, the, the seasonal model, which you've alluded to, which I just love and think is so wonderfully accessible. But if you're thinking about spring as being that transitional season and autumn is, they're the kind of between and betwixt bits, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I was talking to somebody about that earlier, that it's really obvious when you're in winter. And it's really obvious when you're in, in the summer, that because biologically they're like the poles, like it's all going on. <laughs> you yes. can't kind of hide from them. Um, and they're kind of powerful points, the North and the South in themselves. But actually they're like East and the West. Like we're kind of a bit like, I don't really know what's happening here. Like between, <laughs> between both and neither. And, but actually there's something really powerful in that liminal space, I feel. Mm -hmm. um, if, if you can tap into and kind of harness that transformational power um and it is it's the initi it's an initiation isn't it that yes it, it, it. and I think uh Alexandra Pope and Sanji I can't think of her last name right now Shani Hugo Willis yes so, yeah. thank you yes from is it the Red Tent School Red right? School yeah yeah, Red School. And so I did their Wild Power course. And that's one thing that they mm. talked about in there was how the, the spring and the fall, like if you think of menstruation and ovulation, they're these two like really strong pivotal moments. Like mm. think of like the dark moon and the full moon. Mm. They're, they're there. They're like, they're the, like the vortexes of energy, but everything on the sides is the building or the coming mm. deconstruction, right? So it's mm. like, that's where the transition, the movement, the magic all happens because those two pivotal moments of North, South menstruation, um, ovulation can't happen without mm. the power of the sides. 
And those powers mm. of the sides are representative of puberty and of perimenopause, right? Mm. And it, motherhood or fertility and our postmenopause would be the the menstruation and the ovulation. And so when we look at it that way, it's like you can just you can see the beauty of the building phases of puberty and perimenopause, but you can also see how the contention can happen there or mm. there's a potential of of exploring or trying to find or shutting ourselves down. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have the support to explore those two edges, mm-hmm. I think that's when we start to self-doubt or, you know, go into depression or don't understand. Like, it, I don't I don't have the right words. I'm on day two of my cycle. So they're not coming. No, no, to you're, do- <laughs> you're doing, <laughs> so, you're doing, you're doing brilliantly. I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And so like, there's this like, and so like when I, when I look at this, you know, when we talk about what you're talking about here, about mirroring a little bit, one thing that's been contemplating in my mind, and once again, this isn't something I've read somewhere, but it's been come across my mindset, is this idea that we are so focused on, you know, teen suicide, teen pregnancy, um, teen depression, mm. you know, these mood swings that are happening here. Mm. And if we aren't teaching girls about their cycle and what's really happening here for them to understand the waves of emotion or energy that's happening in their body, then we are kind of leaving them out in the wild to explore this on their own versus if we gave them this information, then it's a tool for them to go, wait a minute, I'm feeling this way because of this, or I feel like nobody likes me. So I'm going to go into peer pressure and Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder sometimes, like, I am the result of a teen pregnancy. My mom got pregnant with me at 15. And a part of me wonders, like, with her story, but also with my own menstrual story, how much that would have looked different for both of us. Like, for me, it was that I was scared of my body because I knew my mom's story. I didn't want my mom's story. And so I completely, like, disowned my body. Mm -hmm. There was so much shame. Like when you talk about your menstrual story and how you work with women about creating this menstrual story of remembering, I don't remember when my first bleed happened. I remember feeling like I was feeling left out of something because it took Mm -hmm. so long to happen. But then when it did happen, one of my biggest memories, and this is something that I'm hoping that will never happen in my home, is burying my pads at the bottom of the garbage can, like digging through a garbage can to make sure I could hide my pads. So that nobody would know in my house, including my mom. Like, I just didn't want anyone to know. Like, there was so much disassociation from my body and my cycle and so much shame with it Mm. and so much fear around it, which interestingly enough, the way I landed in cycle education was because I went through infertility, right? Like, so how much of this fear and this disowning in my body and this, all these emotions, how much did that play into why later in life, when I was ready to have a baby... I still could not connect sacredly with my body. (laughs) And then interestingly enough, now that I've come in this power, I feel so different about perimenopause. Like I'm Mm -hmm. ready to explore it. But then if you look at like what I just kind of shared, if on the flip side, if we're worried about teen suicide, depression, mood swings, and pregnancy, what is the opposite for women that are in their 40s going through perimenopause? 
if you haven't had a baby, it's like this fear of a ticking clock and how much that consumes our life. And then the mood swings as well. And the depression and the feeling like you don't have an identity because your whole identity, your whole life has been around your marriage and your kids and you don't know who you are. Like the same fears and doubts we have in puberty, we're having in perimenopause. <laughs> Just different, <laughs> but same. Exactly. You've explained that really well. And thank you for sharing that. That sounds like a really tough thing. And and I guess, yeah, the, the, it's the fear thing, isn't it? It's the fear of what my body could do or, you know, yeah. what might happen. And and I think I think young girls do have that fear and probably still, although I wonder if that's changing in terms of that fear around pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the irony of it all <laughs> is that if if children are taught the basics and and what's happening from the right age, then actually they can be much more prepared. You know, like I didn't, I don't practice fertility awareness method, but I'm aware of it now, like too late. (laughs) And I think, oh my God, if if I'd known that I could track my cycle and know when my, (coughs) when my, ovulation point was and therefore when to avoid having sex I could have saved so much time and energy worrying about oh my god you might get pregnant the whole time there's so much lack of understanding about it all and I think when you were just talking about that in terms of that shame piece that I'm really interested in the impact of menstrual shame um, and and blame and it's the whole thing about kind of you know what it, it, we fill in the gaps with magical thinking don't we so mm-hmm. if we don't have a plausible explanation about what's happening happened to us and this kind of links to the work that I have done with children and young people in terms of life story work and helping kids understand what's happened to them if they can't live in their family of origin which is something that I've been doing for a few years but it's the same thing it's the same mechanism that if we don't know what's happening or don't understand it then we make up a story to fill in the blanks and I think that with with menstrual shame it's it's the same that there must be something dysfunctional or there must be something wrong with me if this isn't happening or if this is happening because I don't know what this is and I think you know the 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 thing that going back to Jane Hardwick Collins again who is just wonderful as we we both agree (laughs) but she says that you know that what menstrual shame does it's like a tool of the patriarchy but that that and i'm sure you've heard her say this that if we reject our menstrual cycles then we reject our bodies and if we reject our bodies we reject ourselves and so if you think you know you loop that back to the to the mental health challenges and crises that, that we've got with young people and you think oh. and then, and the other thing that I that I was thinking about as well is that that there's research that shows that you know you make much healthier choices in terms of sexual health um, when you know what the heck is happening so actually we're doing kids a massive disservice and I would say potentially placing them at more risk in inverted commas of teen pregnancy and of mental health and by not telling them I think it's like a, a fundamental human right for, for children to be taught what's happening in their bodies. Yeah, I completely agree. 
And, you know, one thing when you were talking there about, you know, Jane and what she was saying about shame and rejecting mm-hmm. our bodies, one, you know, piece about my story too is that my dad and my brother and my mom by no means ever shamed the period. Mm-hmm. This is something like inherently that I just knew in my body, right? And so, you know, one thing that, you know, going down this road of learning about cycle awareness has been, and and really understanding my body and coming into relationship with it, has been also understanding that some of these stories that I've created or that I've been telling myself, they haven't actually been verbalized to me as a story, but I felt it in my DNA. There's a part Mm. of me that just knew. So Mm. saying like it's part of the byproduct of the patriarchy, it's so true. Like that shame... It was just this, this innate and knowing that I, I had to hide it, that it was supposed to be gross, that it was supposed to be. And yeah, like that was never the conversation in our home. Yeah. It probably would have made my dad uncomfortable if I would have openly talked about him, but he would have got over it. He got over me breastfeeding in front of him. Like I'm sure he could have got over <laughs> that as well. But, you know, it was one of those things I just, I felt. And I think when we talk to our teens about it, we start to break some of that ancestral pattern or that mm. patriarchal pattern in our body because we're changing the dialogue without actually having to rewrite the history we're just owning our body it's i it's it's really powerful isn't it what you're saying because it's just it's it's how it's deeply culturally ingrained that mental yeah. shame and so it's not and obviously families are a product of the wider, bigger culture. And so it might not be explicit, but it's that implicit knowing. And I think it's fascinating because it's all the, the messages that you absorb from the world about yourself and about your relationships and, and, and just the world, which have huge impacts on you and your inner working model and your how you show up and how you engage with the world but on the, as you were saying that I was thinking that it linked back to that conversation about that you what you're doing is that you're changing that in the in the conversations that you're having in your home with your girls and I loved the way you described that that it wasn't like a sitting down and today we are having the period conversation that actually <laughs> you'd like weaving it into the fabric of everyday life yeah and that's that that's where the powerful that's where the power is so actually by doing that you're undoing that cultural that deeply embedded cultural conditioning um so well like good girl well done you <laughs> yeah i love hearing that yeah so I want to circle back a bit because I know we haven't really got into the depths of this and this is the depths of your work and what you're mm. known for and what you're really starting to want to deepen into. So mm. part of it is the mother-daughter connection and the mothering, or the mirroring, sorry, of mm. what's happening in perimenopause and puberty. But what I'm really interested in this is this idea of the menstrual story work mm. and how you're starting to use that as a cycle coach and as a social mm. worker and as somebody who's working with youth about their bodies. Mm. Can you tell us more about the menstrual story work that you have Mm. constructed and are implementing into your work? Yeah, of course, I'd love to. Yeah, thank you for that, Kate. So it kind of, it came out of, I mean, I was alluded to it a bit, but it came out of work that I have been doing as a a children's social worker over the years, which um, I've kind of ended up specializing in life journey work. So currently in my current role, 
I I don't do direct work with children and young people anymore, which I'm really sad about. I've kind of sidestepped into training and consultancy, but I support professionals to talk to children and young people in care about what's happened to them. And so I've kind of taken the kind of threads of that, the kind of foundations of that, really, which is ultimately narrative work. It's who we are, how we got here, and it's that bridge between the past, the present, and the future, um, which actually is a really nice thing that, that I bring into coaching and why coaching is quite different from therapy. You know, I'm not a therapist, but it's thing you have to work out what's happened and what's got you to here to get your head around where you're at and where you want to go. So in terms of, you know, the menstrual story work piece, I've kind of used that kind of, I guess, like framework in terms of thinking about thinking about your early relationships. So there's a bit of kind of attachment theory in there. Um, there's a bit of kind of drawing on lots of models, like social work models that I've picked up over the years to really examine, you know, what's happened in your past, but also what you, what the beliefs are that you've brought with you. Like, really similar to what we've just talked about. I mean, we've kind of, you know, that's a bit of menstrual story work in there. You've really generously shared your situation or your, your history or bits of your history and how that impacts on now and and what that means. And, you know, is is that still true? You know, are those beliefs that you had about your body then, is that still, how, how do those impact on you now and so for example we might um, explore men arc we might do some men arc work so we might look back at you know how what somebody's experience of starting their periods was in terms of preparing for this next phase and you know quite quite a few of the women that I've worked with this year um, have been kind of on the on the verge of perimenopause and their intention in terms of working with me is to like prepare for the next phase so that's always a really lovely thing to do is to kind of go back to the beginning. Um, yeah, so I, I'm really passionate about it. And it's the kind of, it's it's one bit of coaching. You know, there's lots of other bits to menstrual cycle coaching, but that's a bit that I'm really passionate about. Um, one thing that I really love about what you just shared about is that there is a lot of coaching out there, you know, and I do it too, <laughs> is helping women to solve a symptom, solve a problem that they come to you with. And what I just heard is like a beautiful layer that I think is the next step for women journeying in this curiosity of their body of rather than just being like, I want to heal my period problems or I want to heal infertility or I want to heal whatever menstrual disorder we have. Instead, it's coming into relationship by going, I want to remember who I was mm-hmm. so I can use that power into who I'm becoming. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, so beautiful and I think I think as women right now in a a very medicalized and Mm. let's be honest our medical system is very patriarchal in how it approaches healing and curing and (laughs) diagnosing is that it keeps us removed from our body and so I get why women come because they're, they're looking for more supportive answers of how to heal something physiologically in their body, but then taking them on a journey of going deeper into 
seeing their power and how they can transform of who they can become. I think mm. that's really beautiful. I love mm. that word. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Uh, yeah, there is something really, it's a real privilege to be involved with women on that kind of point of their journey. And particularly when they, something really special about kind of gifting their future selves. I always think, you know, if you're wanting to prepare for the next phase, even though you're apprehensive and kind of um, a bit frightened perhaps and un that uncertainty about it, but just I always think that's such a thing to celebrate, that that desire to want it to be different or to want to feel into that next phase. I think it's it's amazing. But you're right about we're, we, we over-medicalise everything. Um, and actually, it's what I really, I was thinking about this earlier, that it's the biopsychosocial model that, you know, that, that, you, that I think you have to subscribe to. So absolutely, I see women who, um, you know, I've had, had clients who've come and said, I'm really struggling with these symptoms. I'm having really painful debilitating periods. I've got to be off work. Help. And then I've had women on the other end of that spectrum who come and say, actually, I think I've kind of harnessed my, my period. Like I can, I can manage my period, but I like what's on the horizon, what's coming next. I want some help to, so it's I love the variation in it and that, and the, or quite often people come with one challenge and they end up saying they're working out that actually they want something completely different. <laughs> I so, see that all yeah. the time with my fertility clients. So many of yeah. them come to me because of infertility and we work through some fertility stuff and within two or three weeks of working together, they're like, how did I not know this about my body? Like now, <laughs> even though you haven't solved my fertility issues, I feel so empowered by understanding my body that that disempowered or that brokenness that they felt through infertility. Now it's like, no, I can get pregnant. This is going to happen <laughs> because now I... I understand me, right? It's a really beautiful process to see them wake up to who they are and how much what we, I was just talking about this last night with my group of like this inward healing that we have, this ability to heal inwards. Like we often end up in these coaching sessions with somebody because we're looking for external healing. We're looking for someone to fix us or mm -hmm. fix our symptoms or our problem. But what I'm hoping is that through the processes that they learn also the skills of inward healing, of how mm. they have inner power. They have so much through their own beliefs, mindset, knowing of their cycle to come into homeostasis in their body as well. So mm, that's, uh, that sounds wonderful, that work that you're doing. Um, and I think you're right. And it's the having the space to explore that with somebody and having somebody to kind of reflect that back at you and say, actually, have you thought about this? Or what it sounds like you're saying is, da -da 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 -da. you know, that's the power of, the, of that space holding and that coaching relationship, isn't it? That you yes. come, and, and I've been on the other end of it and, and am regularly because, you know, coaches need coaching yeah. um, and have those moments of like, oh, what? <laughs> How did I not see that? That is like, because you can't do it on your own because you're in your head the whole time. You've got 8 million, 100 million, gazillion, billion thoughts going on every five seconds, haven't you? And so actually, how do you, you can't do that on your own. And I think it's, it's um, a facade to think that you can. 
And I think some of us are more more well resourced and some of us are more resilient, of course. But actually saying, you know, oh, just sort out yourself, just be consistent and just solve all those problems and just read a book about hormones and you'll be fine and you'll be pregnant in two minutes. Or, you know, you won't have any menstrual pain. You know, it, it, we can't do this on our own and yeah. we're not, we shouldn't be expected to. It's so funny. I think I've hired more coaches and been part of more coaching programs since I became a coach than I ever did in my whole entire life. Yeah, same, same. In fact, I'm currently on a on a course ban, Kate, <laughs> on a self-imposed course ban because I'm like, stop, right, at some point you have to stop now. Like, stop. <laughs> I promised myself last January, I'm like, okay, you're good for a year. Like, just take a year break. And somehow I've managed to be in two group <laughs> coaching sessions and hired a private coach. So I have three different coaching programs to help me work through all my stuff. <laughs> Do you know, but you've hit on a really important point. And I like, that's so interesting that you say that. And I think it's fantastic that you do that because you have to, you have to be well resourced to do this work. And, you know, one of the things that I'm always teaching um, or, or talking to foster carers about when I train them is about who's in their corner, who is in their support network, because you can't do that kind of work without a small village of people around you. And actually that links to um, another offering that I've got at the moment that you, that you may have seen, that's cyclical supervision. No. So it's a relatively new offering, but I absolutely love it so it's providing kind of um career-based supervision so you know like external supervision like you would have if you were a therapist or if you were a social worker so I've been having and giving it for years but a space to reflect on and zoom out on your work and to think about your um training needs and your development and to think about your caseload if you've got one and the clients and the people that you're working with but actually what I, I so I offer that but with a cyclical vibe so it's very much about right where are you in your cycle how is that affecting your work with clients where you know it's I mean it's endlessly fascinating you can imagine it might be about where you are in a project in terms of the creative cycle it may be about it we, it links it all in but yeah looking at your work and the work you do with people with a cyclical lens and um it I love it it's brilliant and it's like really necessary as well when we're holding space for people because it's it's a big energetic outpouring isn't it so all of that stuff about transference and counter-transference and how all the stuff we bring in our of our messy human selves to the work we do with people and having the chance to kind of like unpick that and like um thrash that out with somebody is is brilliant and yeah, yeah. I have it I I have supervision myself but I'm also offering it which is brilliant I love it that's amazing I love it all right. I know we're almost, well, we are at time. It's been such a great conversation. I can I know, keep going. I can talk to you <laughs> but all of Hannah's information is going to be in the show notes below. So you'll be able to find all the links to her programs and what we've been talking about here today. You can, so go look in the show notes for those. But before I let you go, Hannah, I always like to ask my guest speakers each week, what is their, this week's tip for how to live a womb led life? I love that question. I think what's feeling true for me today is about 
creating the space to listen. And that's, I'm not saying, so just rest. Because <laughs> I think there's, I think that's fantastic and rest is key. But actually you have to, your nervous system has to be in a state where you can rest, where you can be soothed. Um, but just, yeah, creating some more space to really listen to what's happening inside of you. Mm, because that. actually I think we've we often have got the answers um, if we just give ourselves a bit of space and time to really tune in and even if we don't have the answers or we can't formulate them mm. at least we have the data of how mm. we're feeling mm -hmm. to be able to communicate that with somebody who could hopefully mm. help us put the piece together to get that insight because the, mm. the answers are in us mm. it's just sometimes our brain doesn't know how to go through the data <laughs> which just goes back to coaching <laughs> absolutely and we get stuck in our heads don't we and we don't mm -hmm. we're not in our bodies enough yeah and you know the whole coaching thing too I think like modern day life we're calling it coaching but historically it's been called community mm -hmm. <laughs> like that's really what it is absolutely. and so like even we're talking about your thing of like just resting and listening and then taking that and giving it, like, if you can't make it out, I can't think of the word that I want, make it yeah, out yeah. on your own, then yeah. you take it to your community. You take it yeah. to, historically, they would have taken it to their grandmothers, their aunties, yeah. the people that were in the red tent with them. Like Absolutely. This is about, yeah, going inwards. I love that. It's beautiful, Hannah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being on this call. This has been so great. And I think it was perfectly aligned that we met when we did because this conversation started so beautifully with you sharing about your daughter. I think so many women are going to be able to help to relate to that. And it definitely gave me insight too. And, you know, even hearing you talk about the excitement that kind of came up in you as a mother for this mm -hmm. experience, like mm -hmm. I'm kind of excited about this experience. Mm -hmm. I can't, I know mine's probably another, probably a year to two years away still, but it's still like this little fantasy dream in my head of like yeah. how I want this to go down and how I really want it to be sacred so thank you so much for sharing and all I'm sure it will be I'm sure it will be and thank you for sharing what you shared as well I've really enjoyed talking to you Kate it's been so great so everyone make sure you go check out Hannah's stuff all of her information is below for way too long as women we have been guided to hate our menstrual cycle and to curse our hormones we have lost the art of seeing the inner power of being cyclical. So, if this podcast is inspiring you and waking up a new curiosity of how your cycle can be your superpower, I invite you to check out the She Sisterhood. This is a monthly membership that will align you to your unique rhythm through aligned womb yoga practices, cycle coaching on how to weave your cycle wisdom into everyday life, and to be part of a community of women that are awakening to their inner power. Remember, womb wisdom equals connection to self, which ultimately equals inspired living. And if you love this episode, don't forget to rate and review. I love seeing how this information is transforming your life.